0: I want to share with you today about something that I think it's a message that's probably been working in my heart since I was a very young child. I was raised in a mainline, traditional, denominational church. And I don't want to um, say anything disparaging about that because I'm very grateful. Um, There are some things I didn't experience in that church. You know, I, I had to kind of go to another type of group to hear about the new birth. How many of you think it's kind of important to be born again Amen. and had to go to another place yet to learn about the infilling of the Holy Spirit? And how many of you think being filled with the Spirit and, and the Spirit-filled life and the power of God? But, but you know, I still learned some great things in, in my, you know, very mainline traditional church. I've learned like the Ten Commandments. How many of you think the Ten Commandments are awesome? How many of you want your neighbor to think the Ten Commandments are awesome? You know, I want my neighbor to think, you know, I shouldn't kill people. I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't, you know. I mean, you know, we know. And see, here's the thing. We understand nobody's going to be saved by the Ten Commandments, okay? Because we've all missed it. We've all fallen short. Really, the Ten Commandments, from a societal standpoint, point to a... um, you know, it's a, it's a good thing when people in society aren't killing each other and stealing from each other. It makes, it makes the world a better place, but you'll never be saved by the Ten Commandments um, because we've all missed it. The Ten Commandments kind of show us this standard that as soon as we're able to know the Ten Commandments, we already realize, I've missed it. I need forgiveness. So the the Ten Commandments don't provide forgiveness. They show us that we need forgiveness. Jesus provides the solution that the Ten Commandments reveals that we have a problem. For example, when I was a little kid, you know, before I even learned the Ten Commandments, before I even knew what thou shalt not covet meant, I'd coveted my brother's candy bar. Before I even knew about thou shalt not steal, I had eaten my brother's candy bar. I'd I'd stolen it and eaten it. And before I really knew much about what thou shalt not lie meant, I'd already denied it when my mother said, Tony, did you take your brother's candy bar? No, of course not. So, I mean, I've got three strikes against me before I even knew the Ten Commandments. So, the Ten Commandments really were, you know, from a domestic standpoint, civil standpoint, it sets a standard of good behavior. But from a spiritual standpoint, it creates the basis for us understanding our sin. And so, then we turn to Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Jesus provides the forgiveness. It was His death on the cross. It was His shed blood, it was His resurrection that gives us the basis for faith and eternal life and hope and assurance and acceptance and things of that nature. But I'm glad I learned the Ten Commandments as a kid. I'm glad I learned the Lord's Prayer. I'm glad I learned about, um, you know, the Apostles' Creed. I learned the Apostles' Creed as a little kid. I think it's awesome today. Uh, I learned about the Sermon on the Mount you know, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, I, I am thankful for my church upbringing. But, I, but one of the things I experienced, and I don't know how many of you came out of mainline traditional churches like I did, but one of the things that I experienced was not really feeling or sensing a, a real connection with God. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I believed the Bible was the Word of God. But I always felt like a little bit of a spectator in church. I always felt like a little bit of a, 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 an outsider. Now, I, 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 we had an insider, uh, the pastor. He was an insider. He had a connection with God. And I didn't feel like I really had a connection with God I didn't know anything about how to receive something from God for myself, but I believe the pastor probably had some kind of connection with God. And so I would go and sit in church hoping that the pastor would say something that would kind of give me something, but I was dependent on somebody else. Now, I have a picture here of three gentlemen, and uh, these are gentlemen. We would call these gentlemen priests, Okay, and um, uh, the the priest on the left is part of an Episcopalian Anglican church. The the gentleman in the middle is a Catholic Roman Catholic uh, priest, and then the gentleman on the right is a um, uh, an Orthodox priest from the churches more in the eastern part of the old Roman Empire. And um, so we didn't have a priest; we had a pastor. You know, different organizations use different terms. But even though we did not have a priest... See, when I think of a priest, I think of somebody who's a connection point. I think of somebody who's like a bridge between, you know, where I am and where God is. That, that term priest has a certain connotation. And not just, not just the term, because we didn't use the term priest... We use the term pastor, but I really saw my pastor in the same way. He was the bridge. I was an outsider. He had access to the inside. And so I come to church, and I'm basically a spectator, an observer. Yes, I sang the songs that were in the hymnals. Yes, I read the responsive readings that were in the bulletin, but I still felt like, I don't really have a connection with God. And you know what? If there's something about human nature that every religion... I mean, we even talk non-Christian religions. The Hindus have priests. The Buddhists have priests. The What we call the more primal religions have a shaman or a medicine man or a witch doctor. You know, they have... All the religions of the world, formal, informal, Christian, non-Christian, it seems like they've all got some person who's designated to be the the go-between. And I think it's because universally every person knows. Augustine said it this way. He said, the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in you. And when people don't have a connection with God, they look for a connection through someone else. Now, what I want to share with you today, I mean, even the Old Testament system had priests. You remember? The Old Testament system had priests. And what did they do in the Old Testament? The priests, they did things that the common, ordinary person could not do they offered up animal sacrifices for the sins of the people. So when you wanted to have, you're an outsider, so you want to have some, whatever kind of connection you can possibly have with God, you know, which they usually began with this idea of I need my sins forgiven. They would take an animal. They would take a lamb, a goat. If they didn't have a lot of money, they were allowed to bring a little turtle dove, if they were pretty well off they might be required to bring a heifer you know to you know and but but the, the people couldn't offer the sacrifice themselves because they were outsiders they had to bring the animal sacrifice to who to the priest where at the temple where in Jerusalem and they had to give the animal to the priest and he took it from the people and offered it up on the fire, the altar, and um, and 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 there were hundreds of thousands of animal sacrifices, and they were always given to the to the priest because the priest was the connection point. People were outsiders; they were disconnected. They had to bring the priest uh, the, the offering to the priest. But not only would the priest offer an animal sacrifice, you know what the priest would do then? Every morning and every evening, one priest would be especially selected to go into the temple, or when it was temporary, the tabernacle. That's like meeting in the schools. <laughs> it was the, the, temp, the tabernacle was their temporary place that traveled with them in the wilderness, and then you know, was there even up to the time of David. And then Solomon built the temple, which means it was the permanent place. But whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, they would have these hundreds of animal sacrifices, thousands many times. And then one priest would be especially selected to go through some washings and then go inside the tabernacle or inside the temple to the holy place, and that's close to God. Now, only the high priest could go into the holy of holies once a year, but every morning and every evening, a regular priest would go inside, and you know what they would do? They didn't offer animal sacrifices. That was outside. Inside, they would take incense, and they would put it on another altar, and the fire would, the fire would burn the incense in this. We have a picture here of what it would kind of look like. Uh, the priest in the temple. Now, obviously, how many of you know the temple doesn't exist anymore? The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., 70, 0 under the Roman emperor, uh, under the Roman general Titus. They destroyed the temple. Israel's been under a few attacks over the years. In 70 A.D., the the Romans destroyed Jerusalem just like Jesus predicted. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples in the temple area, uh, I mean, it was impressive. And the disciples were blown away. And they said, Jesus, look at these magnificent buildings. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. Well... Less than 40 years later, that was fulfilled. Since that time, there has been no holy of holies. There has been no holy place. There has been no altar for incense to be burnt. There has been no animal sacrifices. But this is a picture uh, kind of recreating what it might have looked like. And here's the priest. He's standing at the altar of incense inside the holy place. And all that smoke coming up is heavily perfumed. It represents the praises, the prayers, and the worship of God's people. Because the people couldn't go in close to the presence of God. The people had to stay far away. Another picture that we have is kind of a drawing what it might have looked like with the priest there at the altar of incense. How many of you think Pastor Tony could wear an outfit like that and just look awesome? Uh, Do you feel led back to the Old Testament? No, no, we're under a better covenant based upon better. We don't have to dress like that anymore. Um, But um, that was it. Now, let me read a passage with you. First Peter chapter 2, uh, actually I've got another one to read. Let's go to the, let's go to the third picture. Uh, do we have a third picture in there with, that was like this first one, the first picture of the priest? Do we have that or did I not? I must have not put that in there. Thank you. Um, how many of you remember the story of the nativity where the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a child and so on. And you, you remember all that. You'll probably look at that again in December, if not sooner. But Mary, when she conceived, who did she go see? She went to see her relative, probably an aunt or something. Uh, she went to see her, her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was already what? What? She was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And uh, what had happened earlier is that her husband, Elizabeth's husband, and here's the slide, Zechariah. We, so we're going back a little bit from Mary's experience. One day, Zechariah, that's the husband of Elizabeth, was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. How many of you have ever done shift work? You've done shift work. You know, you came in and took, took up after somebody else, and you worked your shift, and then another shift came in. There were 18,000 priests in the days of Jesus, and they all worked in one building, the temple. So they had them divided into 24 teams, And if you were a priest, if you were one of the 18,000 priests, that meant, number one, you were a male descendant of Aaron. It meant that you had been through special rituals and training and preparation. It meant that not only were you a male descendant of Aaron, but it also meant that you had no physical defect whatsoever. Because if if a male descendant of Aaron had a physical defect, he couldn't serve. In the temple. It's kind of communicating that, you know, God just demands the best, requires and expects the best. Zechariah was one of those 18,000 priests, and most priests lived their whole lives and only did the animal sacrifices. And that speaks of Jesus dying on the cross. Most priests never got to go into the holy place because only one was selected every day. And you know how they did it? By a lottery. Now, not the mega millions, and you know, they didn't get tickets at a convenience store or anything like that. But there was a lottery amongst, that was supposed to be funny, but it, was, it wasn't, didn't go over very good. Uh, they, uh, Zechariah got chosen, finally. In his old age, he finally got to go in and, and do this. And it says, Uh, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. This was his special day. While the incense was being burned, what's that next sentence? A great crowd stood Outside. That's the story of the Old Testament. Only a select few could go inside. Most priests never even got to go in. A great crowd stood outside praying. So the Old Testament leaves us with this impression you have a few, a few special people who get to go into the presence of God. Everybody else has to stay where? outside. But let's look at what Peter said. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. It says Peter writes, "And you, now he's writing to Christians, many Christians over many places, regions, he says, and you Christians are living stones that God is building into his what?" His spiritual temple. Now, some people say, well, wouldn't it be awesome if we still had the temple? We still have the temple, but it's a spiritual temple. And you are the living stones that comprise that temple. For whatever reason, I I, I don't want this to sound bad, but, but God was busy building a spiritual temple while the Romans were destroying the natural temple. And instead of us looking backward and wishing nostalgically for an old system that doesn't exist anymore, how many of you know, you don't have to bring an animal to church anymore? (laughs) I've been in nations preaching where, not Christians, but people of other religions were bringing animal sacrifices and killing them in parking lots draining their blood to atone for their sins while we were driving to church to tell the people that Jesus died once and for all. He was the ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus shed his blood and he's been raised from the dead and once and for all, he's the redeemer and savior of mankind. We don't have to go back to those kind of rituals anymore. Aren't you thankful for that? But Peter says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. He says, what's more, you, you are his holy priests. You say, well, I thought the priesthood stopped at 70 AD. That priesthood stopped. But our priesthood started when Jesus rose from the dead. You, I shared this message, Pastor Tony, in um, Colorado a while back, and my wife happened to be there working the book table. And she said, Two little old ladies in their 80s came walking by, and Lisa was just overhearing their conversation. And this one lady said to the other, She said, Well, what about that? She said, I've been in church all my life, and I didn't know until today that I'm a priest. If you don't know, remember anything else from today, remember this. You're not an outsider. You're not a spectator. You're not an observer. You're not disconnected from God. You are a priest. You're an insider. What's more, Peter says you are his holy priests and through the mediation of Jesus Christ. How many of you know Jesus is our high priest? We're priests, but Jesus is the high priest. And through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we offer spiritual sacrifice. Oh, I'm so glad it doesn't say we have to offer animal sacrifices. We offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So two different facts are stated here. Number one, we together are the temple we are the spiritual temple of god we are individually we are living stones that god is building into his spiritual temple so number one we are the temple of god the spiritual temple and number two we are the priests you say well those are two kind of different things well jesus is the high priest but he's also the sacrifice of the new covenant. So he's two different things too. You know, when you begin using this metaphorical language, there can be different truths that are combined that are not contradictory. So we're both the temple and we are the priests in the temple. Corey Ten Boom said, a wall with loose bricks is not good. She said, so be cemented to other Christians. How many of you know if you see some people, I don't know, I'm sure you have them here in Omaha, different parts of the country, you know, whatever quarries are around. You'll see people that build houses with rocks, right? And a couple things have to happen. Number one, they have to dig the rocks out. How many of you are glad that God dug you out of the pit of darkness? God dug you out of the quarry. And then, you know, when they use rocks to build a house, They usually have to cut off the rough edges so that they'll fit with other stones. How many of you know that's why we come together? And when we come together, God makes sure that we get some of our rough edges cut off so that we can be joined together with the other living stones. And then they have to use some some kind of adhesive, some kind of mortar to to join the, the rocks together. And, and that's all a picture of us as believers. We get born again. God cuts the rough edges off. God joins us together by the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are built into a spiritual temple. But let's look at a verse, a few, just a few verses later, that um, uh, Peter said. He said, 1 Peter 2, 9, this is just right after the other one. He said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Notice that. He, he says again, we're a priesthood. But this, the first time he said we're holy priests, next time he said we are royal priests. How many of you know, if you follow the news, I don't, I don't follow this stuff too much. But, you know, uh, of course, Queen Elizabeth passed away, and then King Charles, and then you know, all the things about the royal family and that type of thing. And I mean, some of it's obviously interesting and then a lot of it gets into way too much drama for my particular taste. But um, you're royalty. You're royalty. We are, we are not just holy priests, but we are a royal priesthood. I think that is so powerful. And he goes on to say that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, let me let me take you, and guys, I, I totally got my order wrong, so I apologize. But let's look at Revelation chapter one, verse six. Revelation chapter one, verse six. The apostle John says that Jesus has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I just think it's so vital for believers to understand that they have priesthood, that they are priests. When you don't have your identity as a priest, this this really ties into everything who you are in Christ. How many of you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ? Now, you're you're not the righteousness of God. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ, you're a new creature. So when we take all these, you know, Brother Hagin wrote that classic book called In Him, you know, that teaches us who we are in Christ. We're raised with Christ. We're made to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. We're accepted in the beloved, When we understand who we are in Christ, all of a sudden that identity begins to reveal all these potentials and privileges and responsibilities. As long as you think that somebody else, now please understand, I appreciate and respect Pastor Tony and Jeanette very highly, but they're not your priests. We're all priests. That doesn't mean we don't need them as our pastors, we do. God, the Bible's very clear about why God has given pastors to lead, to feed, and so on, and to lead the flock. The the pastor's role is, is not diminished by our corporate priesthood, but the pastor's role is more defined by our corporate priesthood. See, Pastor Tony doesn't exist to be your priest, he exists to be your pastor, and that is to teach you, among many, many other things, how to function in your identity in Christ, which in turn uh, involves your priesthood. Let me give you a definition of priesthood, and I hope this will be more clear. Here's a definition of priesthood, the priesthood of the believer, and this is on the screen, The priesthood of the believer means that we all have the privilege. Everybody say privilege. Privilege. The privilege of accessing the presence and the blessings of God. Now, how many of you know you have access to God? How do you go to God? Do you say, Father, I'm coming in my own name today. I'm coming based on the fact that I'm a great person and because i'm so awesome god i just come into your presence anybody pray like that today when i got up this morning and prayed i said father in the name of jesus see i'm using i'm coming based on his credentials see when we say father in the name of jesus i hope that's not just a meaning, meaningless ritual to you but you're saying you're saying god i'm coming to you, not based on my works, not based on my perfection. I'm coming to you through Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is our bridge to God. See, not only do I hope you didn't get up in the morning and say, you know, Father, I'm coming to you today because I'm just so incredibly awesome and, and, you know, you came in Jesus' name. I also hope you, and Pastor Tony hopes this as much as I do, I hope you didn't get up in the morning and say, Father, I'm coming to you today in the name of Pastor Tony. (laughs) I just want to name drop God because I think you really like Pastor Tony, so I'm coming to you in his name. Pastor Tony doesn't want you coming in his name. He wants you coming in Jesus' name. Pastor Tony doesn't exist to be your mediator. He exists to point you to your mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to cultivate and to nurture your dependence on Jesus So the priesthood of the believer means that we all have the privilege of accessing the presence and the blessings of God as well as, now here's where it gets to me interesting, as well as the responsibility of sharing and conveying those blessings with others. See, the priest represented the people to God But when he came out of the temple or the tabernacle, he represented God to the people. And he did so even in in the sense of when he stood there burning all that incense, guess what happened to his clothes? Guess what happened to his hair? He, He took on the fragrance of the holy place of God and he smelled like God. Let me share with you in that light a verse that Paul communicated that teaches us, gives us Paul's understanding of the priesthood of the believer, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Look, it's on the screen. It says, Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Now, I've talked to some people that have been in some worship services, and I really believe they have a supernatural experience that God gives them. Don't try to make this happen. You you can't conjure this up. But God literally opened up their senses to not just smell the natural realm, but the spiritual realm, and they could smell, they, they could perceive the aroma of heaven and the aroma of the presence of God. I've heard people say, just on rare occasion, I don't mean it happens all the time, but you remember this has happened some back at Brother Hagin's camp meetings. Somebody would just be in that auditorium of 10,000 people worshiping God, and it's Tulsa, and it's 107 degrees out. There could be some other aromas but all of a sudden this person is just standing there worshiping God and 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 it, they began to smell as though they were in the middle of a field of the richest flowers imaginable. Now, I've never had that experience naturally speaking, but I believe there is a spiritual aroma that whether we physically smell it or not, we're different. Paul says, he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. That verse only makes sense if you understand the temple and you understand the fragrances and the incense used in the temple. This, my friend, is priestly language. Peter said outright, You are holy priests. You are a royal priesthood. John said, You are a kingdom of priests. But Paul, though a little bit more indirectly, is communicating the same thing that we are priests, because he's describing what the priest did naturally and he's applying that to what the believer does spiritually. Our lives are a Christ like aroma rising up to God. That's 100% priestly language. Let me really quickly give you five things, because if we quit right here, um, you would say, okay, we learned that we're priests, and we learned that we kind of we spiritually represent God to the world, but, but let me give you five specific things that will be functions, priestly functions in your life. I not only want you to know that you are a priest, spiritually speaking, but I want you to understand how you function. Okay, now that you're a priest, what now? What do you do? Number one, number one, we function as priests when we offer our very selves, including our bodies, to God. I'm going to say it this way. If you were a priest in the Old Testament, you received animals and you offered them to God on an altar of fire. Now those animals were either, they were dying, they were about to die. You you offered dying or dead sacrifices to God if you were a priest in the Old Testament. What do you do in the New Testament? Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Again, we've read this verse hundreds of times And many people don't realize it's priestly language. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The the common English Bible there says... Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Now, let, can we unpack that a little bit? Can we talk about that a little bit? Your body is not your own. Contrary to what the world says, the Christian doesn't have the right to say, this is my body. I'll do with it what I want. See, Paul told us that, that we were bought with a price. And therefore, we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirits because they belong to God. Amen. I don't own this body. I'm a steward of this body. I am responsible, according to the New Testament, not to do with my body what my body wants but I'm responsible to present my body to God as a living sacrifice. See, don't wait until you're five seconds away from dying and then say, oh, by the way, God, I want to I serve you. you know, and give your body to God as a living sacrifice. Now, do I believe in deathbed conversion? Yes. I think the thief on the cross kind of exemplifies that. But I think you're going to waste whatever amount of time that you don't give yourself to God. You're going to waste that time. And uh, the Bible says, offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Paul said a few verses earlier, a few chapters in Romans chapter 6, he said, present yourself to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. See, really, it'd be a lot easier to be an Old Testament priest than a New Testament priest. In the Old Testament, you take somebody else's animal and give it to God. In the New Testament, you have to take your own body and give it to God as a living sacrifice. You know what that means? That means I don't get to say with this mouth whatever I want to. I don't get to just cuss and curse and defame people and gossip and all that. This mouth belongs to God. I don't get to do with these eyes, these ears, these hands. You know, I don't have the right to go up and just smack somebody because, no, I have to give my hands to God as a living sacrifice. Present them for the glory of God. It's not my body and I can do with it what I want. My first responsibility as a priest is to give my entire self, including my body, to God. Number two, number two, we function as priests... When we worship, praise, and pray. You know, such beautiful worship in here earlier today. A visitor might have come in and somebody said, Hey, what are they doing? And the visitor might have said, Well, you know, they're they're singing songs. We were doing more than singing songs. We were worshiping the Most High God. We were offering God the fruit of our lips. The sacrifice of praise. Look at Psalm 141 and verse 2. David prayed. Now, how many of you know David was not a priest? What tribe was David from? He was from the tribe of Judah. He was not a descendant of Aaron. He was not in the tribe of Levi. But, so David was not a priest, but he understood what the priest did And he used priestly language to describe what happened when he prayed. He said, let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like fragrant incense rising as my offering to you as I lift up my hands in surrendered worship. See, too often we have prayed and we have worshiped out of a formality. Oh, because it's that time in the service. Oh, because this music is playing. But in reality, our prayers, our praise, and our worship is part of our life as a priest, a holy priest, a royal priest unto God. And and see, that's why we pray. It's not because Pastor Tony said you're supposed to pray, although you're supposed to pray, (laughs) you know, but, but we worship because we're priests. We pray because, and that's what priests do. It's not just some external ritual that we do, it's because that's who we are. And then Hebrews 13 15 says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of animal. No, no, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Number three, we function as priests when we serve. We function as priests when we serve. You know, I've taught for decades on the importance of believers functioning as servants. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. Anybody who says, well, I want to be like Jesus should say, okay, well, how can I help other people? Because, you know, we are... We are are serving one another. Um, You know, Jesus took his his, uh, outer garment up, wrapped himself with a towel, washed the feet of the disciples, and said, as I've done this, do this to one another, meaning serve one another. And I celebrate and applaud every person who you know, these friendly greeters that we greeted today, the wonderful people, the audio video technicians, the ushers, the people back working with the kids, the people who make the building beautiful, the people who spread the salt when you get your unbelievable winters. You guys use salt or something else. Yeah, whatever. You know, just anybody that does anything to help you know, the people who take meals to people, the people who make the coffee, you know, just all the, all the different ways that we just serve one another and love one another and pray for one another. But we, we function as priests when we serve. I want to share a, a most amazing verse with you. This has so touched me these last months. John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. Mary had a 12-ounce jar of perfume. This is... uh, 17, 16.9 ounces that I'm holding, so I don't know, something somewhere in there. 12-ounce jar of perfume. We we find out a few verses later that the cost of this perfume was worth a year's wages. Now I bought my I I don't actually buy my wife much perfume because she she's so particular, she wants to pick it out herself, but but I've never bought her anything worth a year's wages. That's what Mary had, and you know what? She takes that and she dumps it on Jesus' feet. I think it was Judas. Maybe some of them got mad. That that was worth a year's salary. It could have been you. And it's, and I think the Bible says Jesus or Judas didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He liked to pilfer, embezzle what was put in. But the same was worth a year's wages. Now, see, common hospitality in the Middle East, if you've been to Israel, you know it's rocks everywhere, dust, dirt, you know, it's just dusty. And uh, common hospitality, hospitality 101, was the washing of feet. When somebody came into your home Uh, if you had a servant, your servant would take a basin of water and a towel and kneel where the person was sitting down and, and pour some water on their feet, you know, and dry it off. And that was basic hospitality. But what Mary does is it's hospitality, but it's extravagant hospitality. And it has priestly... She was obviously not a priest, but it had some priestly flair to it. See, Mary didn't use a basin of water. Mary used a jar of perfume. She didn't use a towel. She used her own hair. And the Bible says the house, you catching all this fragrant stuff? See, that's what the temple was, the ins—the fragrance of the temple. It's a place where God was honored and God was worshiped. And I want you to notice this. When Mary did that, the house was filled with the fragrance. But how long do you think Mary carried that fragrance? I mean, her garments would have had, I mean, I, I opened a bottle of water in the pastor's office and I was squeezing it too hard and it just went all, thankfully it dried um, but, but, you know, when she, and, and thankfully water doesn't carry an odor to it, but, um, but Mary would have, she would have had that perfume all over her and in her hair. She would have carried the fragrance of that act of servanthood and she would have been just like the priests carrying the fragrance of the holy place. You say, well, yeah, but she did that for Jesus. How does that apply to us? Jesus said, when you've done something for the least of these, my brethren, you've done it for me. So when you serve by holding a door open for somebody, you're opening the door for Jesus. When you make a cup of coffee, I assume Jesus probably would drink coffee. I don't know. I don't, but he might. Um, You know, When you care for one of these little kids in the nursery, Jesus takes it personal like you're caring for him. You say, how do you know Jesus takes it personally? Because when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? You know what he said? He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, whatever we do for the least of these, my brother, we're doing it unto him. We function as priests when we serve. Hebrews 13, 16 in the message version says, Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Pastors all over the country have noticed that after COVID, a lot of people just kind of dropped out. Quit serving haven't gone back into the trenches to work for God. Hebrews says, make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God, I love this, God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of worship or a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in the kitchen and workplace, and on the streets. See, we're not just priests when the worship team is up here and we're all worshiping God. We're priests when we're in the kitchen, in the workplace, and on the streets. Priesthood is not something that we put on Sunday morning when church starts and take off and leave here when Sunday morning, this is your 24-7 identity You're a priest. We're here to show forth the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Number four, very quickly, we're going to wind up here. Number four, we function as priests when we give. Thank God for faithful people that bring their tithes, their offerings in and support the church. Um, Giving is more than a, a mechanical action. It's more than a a uh, ritualistic obligation. Our giving can be as much worship as when our hands are raised during the best song that inspires you. I, I know many times in in many churches they'll have a time of worship, and then okay now it's time for the giving. Okay now people start checking their grocery list. People start thinking, what's the? I wonder how the game this afternoon is going. Giving is just as much worship as what we call the worship. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, if you said, Let's go to the temple and worship God, that did not mean, Let's go to the temple and sing a song. It didn't mean, Let's go to the temple and hear a sermon. When you said in the Old Testament, Let's go and worship God, it meant, Let's go give God something. That was Old Testament worship. And I know, I know there's differences in that type of thing. What I'm wanting you to see is that you're giving, when you give of your material resources to support your local church, it's just as much worship as everything else you do. Here's what Paul said. Uh, the Philippian church had sent him a gift, a financial gift. He was under house arrest And here's how he described their financial giving. He said, for I've received the gift that you sent by Epaphroditus and I viewed it as a sweet sacrifice perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness which is so pleasing to God. He's presenting a financial gift as the same type of worship that was rendered in the temple. And I love that. In this particular paraphrase, it says it's fragranced. It it is uh, perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness. And number five and finally, we function as priests when we evangelize. When you tell other people how good God is, when you share with other people how much God loves them, When you get the opportunity to tell somebody that, you know, Jesus died for your sins and so on. Paul says this in Romans chapter 15 and verse 16. He says, he, God, gave me the priestly duty, the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, that's those without a covenant, so that the Gentiles might become an offering. Acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the priestly duty of sharing the gospel, it doesn't mean that you are the priest through whom they come to God. You are a priest in the sense that you are pointing them to the high priest, Jesus, through whom they come to God. And through the gospel, that person becomes an offering unto God as their life is surrendered. So let me just share this with you real quickly, the five elements. Number one, we function as priests when we offer our very selves, including our bodies, to God. We function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. We function as priests when we serve. We function as priests when we give and we function as priests when we evangelize. Now you may be saying, well, now wait a minute. Those are all just the basic responsibilities of being a Christian. You just made my point. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we can look at these things as individual, you know, a checklist of things that we're supposed to do or we can just see them as an outflow of our identity. I give because I'm a priest. Priests offer sacrifices to God. I surrender my body, my attitude, my life to God because priests make offerings to God. And I just think maybe it's a little bit, um, uh, if we don't look at it so much as an obligatory checklist, because then we can kind of shift into a works mentality, I just think it can flow better when, when it flows out of our identity, who we are in Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for Faith Family Church. I thank you for Pastor Tony and Jeanette. I thank you for every leader of every department and every team member and every person that, that does something to make this church better. Lord, I believe that we are who you said we are. You said that we are holy priests, You said that we are a a royal priesthood. You said that we're a kingdom of priests. And Lord, you even said we're a chosen generation. Lord, we're here for such a time as this. The world is full of chaos and confusion and worry and stress and all that. But Lord, we're resting in Jesus. Our trust is in God today. God, there's nothing happening in the world today that has you unnerved or has you pacing the floor of heaven, wondering how it's going to work out. Jesus, you've already laid everything out. You don't have to recall and revise the book of Revelation. Jesus, you're ending up in this thing as King of kings and Lord of lords, and you're going to take care of your people. We thank you for it. And Father, I want to pray right now all over this place, I pray that there will be a divine recognition and realization that we're not outsiders. We are not spectators. We are not disconnected. But, Father, we're the insiders. We're the priests. And that's nothing for us to be proud about in a carnal sense. That's just because Jesus, uh, the high priest, has made us priests alongside of him. So we're honored and and we thank you. and Father, I just want to say right now that if there's anybody in this room that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that you'll minister to people's lives. Lord, I, I went to church for so many years. And mentally, I believed in God, and mentally, I believed these things, but I had really never given my life to Jesus. I, I, I thought, well, I hope to get to heaven because, you know, I've been a pretty good person. I've gone to church a lot. You know, I haven't, you know, done any of the really bad things. In life. Listen, nobody's going to heaven based on how good they are. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. Uh, We all need, every human being on the face of the earth needs the forgiveness that God offers. And nobody's going to heaven because they're good enough or religious enough. People are only going to heaven because Jesus died for our sins. And we put our faith and our trust in him. He causes us to be born again. New creatures, sins forgiven. And I want to pray there may be people watching online right now that, that you're listening to this and, and, and you say, you know what, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I've never really uh, just completely given my heart to God and, and you want to do that right now. Maybe there's people uh, also that would say, um, you know, I used to serve God. I used to be on fire for God, but man, I've been away from God I need to, like the prodigal son, I need to rededicate and get my life back on track. We're going to pray right now. If you're here in this place, I'm talking directly to you. This is your moment to say, Jesus I'm doing business with you right now. I'm surrendering my life to you. And Jesus, I'm receiving your forgiveness and and, and a new beginning, a new start from you. I want to lead us in a prayer. Uh, I want those in this room to pray this alongside anybody that might be praying it for the very first time or rededicating your life to God. And and for you online, this is is for you to join us. Everybody say this. Say, "Dear Dear God, I thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. He shed his blood on the cross and and died for me and, and rose from the dead. He conquered death and he's alive and Jesus is offering me the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I believe you are alive. I call you my Lord. I receive all that you're giving me. And I give you all of my life, all of my heart, all of me. Help me to live for you and glorify you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands and thank God. Father, we thank you. We give you praise for hearts, for lives given to the glory of God, lives purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, delivered from the hand of of death and the enemy and all that would do us harm. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen.